Who doesn't like a bento box and an Asahi? Everyone loves an Asahi. It's awesome. But Japanese people are not making out. They're not, they're having sex with robots. This is, you gotta get off the sex with robots and grab a guy and grab a girl and get into it. It's not happening in Japan. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code real estate wealth. Today on the show, we're going to go on a journey. Yes, would you like to come on a microeconomic journey? Well, if so, you've come to the right place. Today, we're going to explore 14 different microeconomic elements which are influencing the property market today. Really, before 2020 ends, so important property investors take heed of what the microeconomic influences are so you can set yourself up for a better and more prosperous 2021. So I tell you what, it's time to kick back and relax and enjoy 14 of the best because I know if you use them, you're probably going to end up on the right side of the economic divide in the future. Tell you what, too many people get what I call barbecue flu. Barbecue flu is worse than coronavirus. It's worse than swine flu. Barbecue flu, of course, is listening to the wrong type of people giving absolutely terrible information. Right now, it is so important to control your state, to control your mindset, and also just think about investing for what will be a long future for many people. Today, I think a lot of people get swayed and influenced by so much bad press, fake news, information. So the microeconomic data, which I'm gonna to share today, is really all about unveiling good content so you can make some sound decisions as a property investor. Whether that's to keep holding real estate, whether that's potentially to sell a property, or whether that is actually to go out there and buy some properties to build your wealth. For me, I've been caught up in barbecue flu before. I tell you what, about six years ago, I could have bought Tesla shares for 10 times less than what they're worth today. I went to a barbecue and talked at the barbecue to a really good buddy of mine who is quite intellectual. And I listened to that person who was not a share broker, but an intellect, tell me that Tesla was a fad. Well, this year, Tesla flew to outer space, so it's hardly a fad. And certainly if I'd bought that $100,000 worth of Tesla shares back then, they'd be worth a million dollars today. So I think it's so important we start to get information which is credible from people who do what they say they do. And certainly I'm here to tell you that I'm a property investor I'm buying real estate this year. I'm doing all sorts of different 
elements of real estate. I'm renting real estate out. I'm renovating real estate. I'm developing real estate. And I'm holding real estate. So I can tell you I'm walking in your shoes to go the journey where you need to go. So it's time. It's time to go through some ideas around financial freedom. And I'm throwing it out there. I've been texted and contacted by so many people who want their parents to get an episode of microeconomics. So many people's mums and dads right now are doing it real tough. The dichotomy of the world at the moment is cheap money for people who can borrow, but no money being paid out in the form of interest in the bank. And a lot of people are struggling. So I tell you what, this episode is really good if you've got a parent who is feeling really terrible about what to do, perhaps they're much elder than you, and they're a bit stuck because they've made money traditionally by having savings. Right now, savings in the bank is worthless. My mum was born in 1940, in the middle of a world war. And she has toiled away her whole life and put away her pennies. Today, she has some $600,000 in the bank which provides absolutely no annuity or income. A term deposit in the bank today is 0.7%. You simply cannot live off what once you could as a retired person. So not for the first time in my mum's life, but certainly for the next time in her journey, she is actually looking to come into the real estate marketplace. Real estate actually can provide a much more formidable return than the bank at the moment. The cash rate is 0.25%. At a minimum, you can find really a rental return if you look close enough for 5 or 6%. That's around 20 times the cash rate. So the first lesson of microeconomics is there is going to be a huge retiree class of people who have left the workforce absolutely looking at real estate, not from a growth point of view. They've made equity before. They don't need more growth. They need cash flow. Real estate right now is probably the world's best cash cow. It's much better than so many other asset classes. And I think from a microeconomic point of view, we are absolutely seeing real estate become that vehicle that will create returns for many people who are certainly what we would call cash investors. So the first micro element is cash investors are absolutely going into the real estate market. My mom, 80 years old, she's a grandmother. And we are going to go and find her a property to get her return so she can take that $600,000 and not get $7,000 from the bank per annum in interest. 
she will get a lot more and she'll be able to use that money wisely and, of course, live off some of those returns. From a microeconomic point of view, I think the big downsides of where we're at at the moment compared to previous cycles of downturn is certainly the unemployment figures. Unemployment figures are not as bad as we all first thought. And I think from a microeconomic position, we are actually in a pretty good place when it comes to the unemployment rate. Remember, Australia has always forgazied its unemployment figures. It always includes part-time workers or people doing a few shifts in its unemployment figures. So for a very long time, Australia's unemployment rate has been much higher than what it usually is portrayed at. But remember, the goal of government is to make sure everyone has a job, make sure there's a level of social quality out there. And prior to the coronavirus, for everyone to get a pay rise, the Australian government was aiming for a 4% unemployment rate. We are certainly in double digits right now, and it's going to take a few years to get that unemployment rate down again. So from a microeconomic point of view, probably one of the challenges is without question the unemployment rate. But I will add for those people that are working, nine out of 10 people today have a job. And with what is occurring in the economy, we are going to see an absolute penetration of the real estate marketplace. And I'll explain a little bit more as we sort of go through some other microeconomic influences. Loan deferrals are still out there. There today, you know, Commonwealth Banks put out a report that there are around 6% of loans still on holiday. And much of that at the time of talking to you is centred around Melbourne, where, of course, people are in very much lockdown and arguably been in lockdown too long, but certainly on the way out. So we will see from a microeconomic point of view these holidays ending. And I will add that what has been so surprising is many of the industries affected by unemployment and many business businesses and individuals taking mortgage holidays tend to be in a less affected part of the marketplace. It's probably fair to say hospitality lends itself to younger people who are yet to own mortgages, yet to own real estate, really has been a renter's pandemic. In other words, many people who are typically renters at the moment are having job impacts rather than homeowners quite often the bartender or the you know the tour guide uh young tour guide or the um you know the hospitality worker working in the hotel they're at the start of their career 
and quite often they're in the rental section of the marketplace. So we certainly uh, got through the worst of the economic fallout here in Australia at this present time. And it would seem that people are starting to really start to look at real estate in a different way. As I've discussed in previous podcasts, we're in a new structural change for real estate. Money, again, is a lot cheaper than it's been in a very long time, in just about forever. So all of a sudden, the idea that people can borrow more money, spend more, potentially is occurring. And you are actually seeing that now in some of the sales numbers. I mean, we are seeing some record property sales starting to occur. If you look in any weekend newspaper, you will see records being set, whether it's in Sydney or Brisbane or Perth. Fundamentally, the marketplaces are starting to be quite fluid. In Sydney, in Vaucluse, there was a recent auction on the 26th of September, a home sold for a staggering $24.6 million. Now, what is not interesting about this number is the number. It's actually the record set by the reserve. The reserve for the home was $10.6 million. The home ended up selling for $24.6 million. Now, this isn't just one person attracted to this property. There are actually 25 bidders at this particular auction, smashing all auction records in Australia. Happened in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Why? Because this property offered both functionality and livability, which I do think from a microeconomic influence point of view is the battleground right now. If real estate is really functional, it's valuable. If it's really livable, it's valuable. We're probably seeing that also play out in the land market space. Land is valuable usually most of the time. And vacant blocks of land are selling for record amounts. Why? Because people can build a functional property on them. In Brisbane, in Kedron, which is a middle suburban neighbourhood of Brisbane, just last weekend, a block of land sold for a record price, $1,155,000. Again, it wasn't one individual wanting to buy it. It was a auction which many parties bidded at. So again, we are starting to see from a microeconomic point of view, real estate become really valuable in a few certain places. That first place is without question retirees getting money out of the bank and putting it into the safe haven of bricks and mortar. My mum is a classic example. She needs to move that money out of the bank. It's doing her absolutely no good. Get it into the real estate economy, which is going to be better. We are seeing livability neighbourhoods take off. We are seeing functional properties take off. 
we are seeing the land market take off from a microeconomic proposition. It is really wow time. I think we are early stage place of a fear of missing out. Remember, the real estate yield is 20 times that of the cash rate. That is huge. Never in the history of the cash rate versus yield has the two worlds been too, so far apart. So the movement of money is definitely going to come out of the bank and go into real estate. There are so many different little microeconomic influences. And I think probably what we are seeing, according to the Westpac Bank, is a rebound in consumer confidence with real estate. If we go back to some periods of low confidence, if you follow the real estate sentiment index, you can go back to October 2008. Of course, in October 2008, we had the global financial crisis. If you look at the index, you'll find that the global financial crisis caused a massive sentiment loss. And of course, when there is a sentiment loss, people feel scared and often, quite often sell property at a loss. But what's so interesting in 2008 is the rebound in 2010. We saw that the real estate market spiked in confidence and that was really a precursor to many growth patterns, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney. Right now, we are absolutely in an upward trajectory of confidence. Six months ago, the loss of confidence rivaled that of the global financial crisis, meaning six months ago, pessimists outweighed optimists and the mood around real estate was very, very worrisome. However, right now, it's the polar opposite. We are on an upward trajectory of sentiment. People have more money than they've ever realized. And I will talk about why people have more money than they have ever thought they would have. Remember, here in Australia as well, I think, and New Zealand, we have to be very grateful. I looked at the statistics today. There is one person in Australia in ICU. In other words, in intensive care. One person in the whole of Australia. Remember, the rest of the world is really stuffed at the moment compared to what we're going through. In fact, it could probably be argued that Australians and Kiwis, you know, we're now sort of thinking, well, we're probably a little bit over this and a little bit passing through this. This is getting ridiculous. In Australia today, there are 31 people in a hospital, just 31 today. Uh, going through the coronavirus challenge. Now, other microeconomic influences, which I think are so amazing right now, which does link to something quite big looming as an undercurrent in real estate, is 
the tight vacancy rates. Many cities are in the middle of a rental crisis. There is just not enough properties to rent and people are starting to pay over the rental market number to secure the right property. Again, think functionality, think livability. You're probably in the right state getting a rental increase right now because more people than ever before are hunkering down and looking for the right property and there is no stock glut. There is no extra stock floating around that is unrented in many marketplaces. Canberra's got a tight vacancy rate. Hobart, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth. These cities are doing tremendously well. Even Melbourne, which is arguably going through a real interesting challenge, both from a social and economic and political perspective, has a very good vacancy rate. In fact, it sits at about 3.5% today. Prior to the lockdown, it was around 1.8%. What that tells us is as soon as Melbourne opens up, there will probably be also another flurry of people looking for new accommodation. So we are seeing a transformation of not only the property market with records being set, we're also starting to see a transformation of a tight vacancy. And a lot of this comes down to really the lack of new stock coming into the property marketplace. Australia was in undersupply really by virtue of the Royal Commission. If you're not familiar with the Royal Commission, it commenced in 2017, really went all the way up till 2020, where Australia went on a diet of credit. In other words, we actually went into a period where lending was difficult. The political scene around lending was also difficult. So much of the stock which was produced in the golden years prior to 2017 in 2014, 15 and 16 when Australia was in oversupply dissipated in the three years leading up to coronavirus. Now, people quite often don't understand supply. And I like to give a little bit of a lesson around what supply actually is. Australia ultimately has a goal that it wants to reach 40 million people by 2050. To do that, we need to build a lot of real estate. In apartment terms, that's for Sydney, we need around 18,000 apartment buildings, which would be, for example, eight storeys with 64 apartments in each complex. 18,000 of them. And in Melbourne, it's very similar. That's before you take into consideration even the construction of new housing. So quite often people read supply figures and don't really understand the context of it. 
for Sydney to become an 8 million person city, we need to build 18,064 apartment eight-storey buildings. That is a sizable amount of work. In Brisbane, it's around 10,000 eight-storey buildings with 64 apartments in each. By 2050, we have 20, 30 years to do it. So in that 30 years, there are periods where there is robust supply but we're in a period now where there is no supply in fact in brisbane which is a city of two and a half million people the current development applications for the current year of apartments sits at about 300 300 that is ridiculously low right we need literally three to four hundred thousand apartments to meet this target by mid-century and we're adding 300 new apartments in melbourne which is today australia's most undersupplied city which people don't often talk about because most podcasts are sydney-based people who don't know a lot about the melbourne property marketplace melbourne prior to lockdown was australia's most undersupplied city and it's a five million person city there is no new stock coming to melbourne's property marketplace it is very very low so then we take into consideration 2020 is a wipeout there are no new buildings getting sold off the plan there are no major pre-sales occurring around australia Really, Australia's supply of real estate is being sold off to first home buyers that again absorb the real estate as homeowners. In other words, that stock will seldom get to the rental marketplace. So we're starting to see rents surge. And what is a 5% yield today could very well within two years be a 6% return. Again, think about the cost of money, 0.25%. Think about a term deposit in the bank. You're getting paid. You can get paid today by National Australia Bank 0.7% for a 12-month term deposit. Or you can get 6% in the real estate marketplace, which is growing, not declining. So we are seeing the yield curve invert. We're actually going the opposite way with real estate. Rents are starting to grow. In fact, we are down since the last peak of supply, which was 2016, 60%, 60% in since the last peak of supply cycle. Now, credit is starting to ease up. If we look at what happened in the last property boom, really which affected Sydney and Melbourne's property market 2012 to 2017, we had easy credit. The price of credit was low in context of the marketplace. We had good employment though, and we had good population growth. We also had foreign buyers, tax incentives, and we had really an oversupply occurring at the same time which was quite interesting. 
when we think about pre-COVID, credit availability was not there. We couldn't borrow. The price of credit was a mute point because you couldn't borrow the credit. Unemployment was good. Population growth was good. Foreign buyers had been taxed and chased away from the marketplace. And really what we were starting to see is that undersupply starting to unfold. 2017, 18, 19, complete undersupply period of the marketplace. So where are we now? Well, credit availability looks like it's easing up. Scott Morrison and Treasurer Frydenberg have already put it out there. By March next year, they want to see credit steamrolling out of the bank. Go into your local bank, do yourself a favor, speak to your local branch bank manager. They will tell you they want credit moving. They want money in their bank, out of their bank, and in your pocket. Now, one of the biggest things I think is so important right now is the price of credit. You can get a home loan for 1.8%. You can get an investment loan from 25 to 3.5%. That is ridiculously low. And that credit may even become a little bit lower. The downside of where we're, where we're at today is low population growth and a little bit of high unemployment. What will bounce back though? With brand Australia and brand New Zealand being so strong, foreign interest to come to Australia or to invest in Australia or New Zealand. But what we are going to see is an absolute bloodbath when it comes to new supply. It is absolutely impossible for stock to catch up quickly. We won't see stock levels return to a balanced marketplace till 2024 think about what it takes to develop you often have to get your planning permits your restrictions you then have to go and get pre-sales then you have to get funding then you potentially have to get mezzanine funding then you've got to get your final sign off from credit then you've got to construct you got to appoint a builder that builder's got to do two years worth of work to build a significant building of scale takes around four years from start to finish. Sure, we can knock up a house and land package quickly. To A solution for two or three people. But a house and land package is not a solution for the masses. And of course, what we are seeing is the big restriction of supply right now across Australia. You're starting to see that in the media. The media's finally caught on that the Australian property market is completely undersupplied of stock. When tenants are lining up to try and get a property, we know the stock is low. When people are starting to pay over at an auction, we know the stock is low. So what is so fascinating is we are without question going into a new place and that new place also revolves around money. The time value proposition of money states 
that the purchasing power of money differs with the passage of time. So if we had $100 and we use that $100 today, we could buy $100 worth of stuff, right? However, if we fast forward 15 years from now, we would need $155 to buy the same amount of stuff that we can buy today. Now, one of the microeconomic influences which is really changing quickly is the value proposition of money. Now, my argument is quite often we can't comprehend that someone would pay more for real estate than what it is today. In other words, we feel real estate is expensive. We look at a one-bedroom unit, we go, it's $500,000. That's too expensive. But what if I was to tell you, because of the transformation of money and just how quickly that is occurring, not just in Australia, we are not special, in the whole entire world, that all of a sudden, the idea of property hyperinflation is going to be real. A $500,000 property, which we think is expensive, will, through the transformation of time and money, be worth a million dollars 10 years from now. And the challenge for people is to understand that your cash is not going to keep up with the cost of goods. And I think this is where a lot of people who are hunkering down on cash right now need to really revisit their strategy. Is it actually good to have cash in the bank? Or should you be putting that into real estate? Well, the inflation rate of real estate is going to go bananas. And the inflation rate of cash is going to go backwards. So it's going to mean you're going to need more money to get the same thing just a few years from now. And that is going to be the hardest part for many people to comprehend as a result of the wealth effect which is unfolding with real estate. A lot of people will think, money is better in my pocket, I'm safe, and real estate will go backwards, so I'm going to be better off waiting. Well, the polar opposite is going to happen. Remember, coronavirus is just like a wave. It smashed society like a tsunami. But it's not the wave that we have to be worried about. It's actually the current that drowns people. The current. The undercurrent of real estate is good, not bad. And this is what a lot of property investors don't quite comprehend. The undercurrent, not the wave, is what you should be studying. Why I'm giving you microeconomic lessons today is that I want you to understand the undercurrent. The undercurrent will sweep you back to shore. You'll be safe. 
And real estate is absolutely got a very good undercurrent right now. And it has found a complete new audience. The greatest thing about Australia and New Zealand is we are not an aging country. Now, I travel the world a lot. I travel uh, all over and one of my favorite places is Japan. Japan has an aging population. People are very old in Japan. The younger people are not reproducing fast enough to create a future wealth effect to look after older people. In fact, a future wealth effect to look after the economy. The economy of Japan is in trouble because it fundamentally is a zombie economy. It can't take on more debt because it's got no more debt to give to a generation to take on. If you look at the cash rate of Japan, it's been low for 30 years. It is a zombie economy. It's a very great country. I love going there. Who doesn't like a bento box and an Asahi? Everyone loves an Asahi. It's awesome. But Japanese people are not making out. They're not, they're having sex with robots. This is, you got to get off the sex with robots and grab a guy and grab a girl and get into it. It's not happening in Japan. But here in Australia, we are so fortunate because our baby boomer generation had Gen X's, but more importantly, Gen Y's. The millennial generation is now 30 odd years old. I've talked about this before, but this generation is the biggest in Australia. It is now the largest group of people. If you research the average age of an Australian, it's 34 years of age. The beautiful thing about a 34-year-old is they have a good job, they've worked out their career, They've got to know themselves. They realize they need to invest in themselves and they're becoming homeowners. And Australia has this real trump card. It's like the get out of jail free card on the Monopoly board. Give debt to millennials. Make millennials buy real estate. Get them into the marketplace. Get them into the marketplace and they will spend. This is what I think quite often people don't realize about the property economy. The property economy is so much bigger than just real estate. So we take millennials, which are the biggest audience in Australia. We get them buying a house by giving them grants and boosts and bonuses. Today in Perth, you can get around a $76,000 bonus to buy a property as a first home buyer. You get $25,000 from the federal government, SCOMO. You get $20,000 from the state government. You get a $10,000 stamp duty waiver. And if you're one of the 10,000 people taking advantage of the LMI uh, uh, concession, you'll save around $20,000 buying a property. So what's that? 25 from SCOMO, 20 from the state government, that's 45. 10 grand for stamp duty off, that's 55. And about 20, 20 odd thousand dollars from LMI savings, it's $75,000.
Think of how long it takes to save $75,000. Millennials are being gifted money to get into the marketplaces because they can take the debt. They've got 25 years to go in work and a home loan just happens to be 25 years. So there is the perfect candidate. But what we also don't quite fathom around the idea of buying housing is the affiliated industries it supports. If you buy a house, you've got to buy a TV. If you buy a house, you need a sofa. You need a removalist. You need a plumber because when you move into the house, something's not quite right. You need to go to Bunnings because you want to have a lemon tree. So all of a sudden, the idea of the micro-economy of housing is very connected to many of the jobs in Australia. 60% of industries are linked to property. The rebound of the economy is very much going to be through real estate. It's not the first time in 2009 Kevin Rudd introduced policies and tax incentives to stimulate growth. We're going to see a similar effect. But I think what we're seeing now pales in, it's absolutely ginormous compared to the GFC. I mean, right now, the tax incentives for Australians is exponential. If you want to know what the biggest microeconomic lesson of them all is, it's hundreds of billions of dollars coming into the economy and being given to the purses and purse strings of citizens in the form of tax cuts, business relief, grants. The federal government has literally taken hundreds of billions of dollars and injected it into us. So the flow-on effect of that will be people will start to spend, start to create more interest in wealth. And sure, some people are going to get by because they're not reading the signals correctly. What I'm here to tell you is that if you really comprehend that you take hundreds of billions of dollars and you give it to the hands of the people, the people who invest will do well. Do I think real estate's going to go up? Yes, because the incentives and tax benefits are absolutely huge from the budget. Now, into the future, we are going to see austerity. Austerity is just the concept that at some point you can't keep spending. Austerity will kick in in 25, 26, 27 in Australia. Should our federal government have taken those hundreds of billions of dollars and built a high-speed rail from Sydney to Melbourne? Absolutely. But a pandemic came along and messed that whole concept up. So guess what? There ain't going to be no high-speed rail anytime soon. And in fact, in five or six years from now, if you're not on the right side of the wealth effect, if you haven't taken the opportunity which is right in front of you now, grab that money 
and worked out how to be an investor, to own assets, you're going to be on the wrong side of austerity moves five years from now. In five years from now, the ship will get tight. Money will need to be paid back. Loans by federal government will need to be paid back. Money is not free. It comes at a cost. But the point is right now you will see wealth happen. Whether you choose to get on the bus and go for the wealth journey or hide under a rock is completely up to you. But I'm here to tell you the next five years, real estate will grow. It is an economy that is going to grow in value. Money in the bank will not grow in value. Eventually, austerity will begin and the challenge for Australia will be wealthier people if they've played the real estate game and real inequality if people haven't. Because the future of getting wealthy when austerity kicks in will be very difficult, very difficult when lending is slowed, when uh, spending is uh, slowed, when taxes are raised, when infrastructure starts to fail. All of these things will eventually unfold. We've bought ourselves time to create wealth. The Australian government has said, you do it. You take the money and you become wealthy. That's what they told us to do. They've given us the money. They have said, start a business. Businesses, here's tax relief. Don't pay payroll tax this year. Spend it on jobs. Put jobs back into the economy. The jobs create more, more industry, more, more spending. And eventually, it all flows around and around and around. Remember, millennials are a big target of the marketplace. The, since the home, boot build, home builder boost, we have seen a huge unfolding of new interest from 30-year-olds buying real estate. In fact, so much so that the threshold of buying real estate to get grants, to get LMI exemptions has been raised. This is a telltale sign. In Sydney, you now can get grants and LMI exemptions up to $950,000. The previous amount was $700,000. In Melbourne, it's eight hundred and fifty. dollars The previous amount was six hundred. dollars in Brisbane at 650, the previous amount was 475. Just three months ago, it was 475 in Brisbane. They're telling us the real estate market's going to go up because they're actually relaxing the amount of incentives their people can spend. You take a greenhorn novice millennial, never bought a property before. You give them grants and benefits and you say you can spend up to 650. Guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna spend up to 650. What's that gonna do to the real estate market? Well, it is certainly going to grow it. Now, I think there are some low level, simple way of explaining this whole thing. First one is property prices versus wages. Now we need to understand 
here in Australia and New Zealand, it is very difficult to save a deposit to buy a property. And one of the challenges of bringing demand into the marketplace is people have to save before they have enough money to join the demand pool. But we have sped that up in the matter of three months. We've said to every millennial right now, go and buy. Don't save. Save a few, Bob. Get yourself 20 grand. Get 20 grand off mum. We'll do the rest. And this is creating huge, huge interest, particularly in the new property market section. So property prices versus wages is huge. The price of credit is cheap. Mortgage costs versus wages is also very interesting. The flexibility for the real estate market to go up is now possible. A lot of that is to do, to do with, again, the cost of money is so cheap. Remember, in 2008, you were getting properties probably uh, at a mortgage rate of 7 or 8%, okay? Uh, even 9%. I remember in 2007, I borrowed money at 13%. Today's mortgage costs, just 13 years later, is 1.8% for a home loan. So wages and mortgage costs work at the moment because mortgage costs have come down, wages have not gone up. The other thing I think which is really interesting, it is actually less expensive to own real estate than rent real estate. So a lot of people are going to leave the rental pool and become homeowners. This obviously does have a downward effect on the rental marketplace. But because supply is so terrible, good properties will still rent real well. However, people and young people are now able to have really a cheaper home loan than it is to rent a property. That is an absolute amazing phenomenon. The fact that a household budget can save thousands every month by Owning real estate instead of renting real estate is a massive microeconomic influence which is going to come into the real estate marketplace. People will absolutely join the demand pool. And I think this is super important to understand that in the real estate world, we have to choose real estate as an investor. I want you to really understand what is occurring. We have no supply. We have cheap money. We're being influenced back into the real estate marketplace. We have 31 people in hospital, one in ICU in uh, Australia with coronavirus. We are getting through this. And the bottom has been passed. We are now in a marketplace where sentiment around real estate has improved to such a level that it is better now than it was during the credit squeeze of the Royal Commission. People feel more upbeat about real estate now than then. There was no such thing as coronavirus then. But again, we've got 
structural changes in the way the market is responding. And a lot of that is being felt in the actual physical dynamic of real estate. Real estate, after all, is bricks and mortar. So what bricks and mortar are becoming valuable? Well, you know that I'm a big fan on livability. The other big element which is working in demand is functionality. So upgraders, downsizers and first home buyers are really three of the big uh, drivers of the marketplace. First home buyers are being influenced to buy brand new real estate. Downsizers are looking to downsize into livable areas or functional properties. Upgraders are also looking for livable areas or functional properties. So again, we need to understand that 75% of real estate in our big cities is dysfunctional. It's really past its use-by date. So just something to be really aware of. We've got this real underbelly of huge demand. And other than rental returns, which are in hot demand for particularly the cash end of the market and even superannuation funds, one of the biggest demand drivers right now is really livable property or really functional property. All of these microeconomic influences are absolutely headed to real estate. And if you own the right property, you're going to absolutely end up wealthier. And you want to do it now before 2025 austerity kicks in. Hey, everybody, that's the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. Hey, until next time, I'm Sam Saggers signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.